In the series on rebuilders, um, David asked me to give a word on Nehemiah chapter 1. Turn with me, if you will, please, to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah is absolutely an incredible book, and it's been really good being researching and reading over this and grasping Nehemiah himself, the very person that he is. Now, this particular part of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah is called Nehemiah's Prayer. So let's, let's we'll, we'll read with, I'll read with you on this. So we're reading from chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kevileth, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judea with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about <coughs> Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept and for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord of of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servant, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we, have, we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and the laws you give your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you are exiled people or in the farthest horizon, I will gather them from Uh, from there and bring them into the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servant who delighted in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of the man. I was the cupbearer to the king. And I pray God really, really blesses that word to us mightily. As he says at the end, Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king of Persia. And he is one of millions of Jews deported when they were over overrun by the Babylonians, conquered at that particular time. They were all deported to Babylon. Um, And God allowed that to happen. As he said, the Jews were not playing ball with God, not listening to what he had to say. And for 70 odd years, the Jewish people were under the influence of the Babylonians. And interesting where Babylon is, as, as you know today, the modern day Iraq and parts of Iran 
were in the Babylonian kingdom. Interestingly, that the Babylonians pretty much had all, nearly all of the near, for the near East. They were pretty much in charge of everything around there. They pretty much swept up throughout all of that. And here we have Nehemiah is being told by Hananiah that Jerusalem is in a terrible state, basically. Really rough. Its walls are down, the, the, the gates are burned. It's pretty much in a bad shape. And so when, ha- when Hananiah tells him this story, Nehemiah is just overwhelmed by this news, totally overwhelmed by it. And, and he is so overburdened that he falls on his knees and weeps. And he begins to fast and he prays about it. And it's interesting when you look into this and you read up a bit more deeper into the, from, and, and I've read some of the commentators on it, literally four months this man is praying. He is praying four months on the trot for this, fasting and praying over it. And God gives him a tremendous heart. That's the one thing I've taken out of this, is the fact that God has given him a heart for the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem. Now it's a mighty job. It's a huge, huge, big, big work to be done. But Nehemiah sits down. He literally goes down on his knees and he weeps because he is so overwhelmed of the loss of the things that have happened. And the, the, it's, it's incredible when you look at the walls and, and the walls of that city, there's nobody in it. It's like a ghost town, basically. It has become a ghost town and no one's there looking after things. No one is repairing the wall. And people have gone up and burned the gates and, you know, they've done all sorts of stuff. The wall's been pulled down. It's fallen down because no one's looking after it. And he's been called by God and given a heart to do this. And you know what? He just doesn't feel bad about it. He literally weeps about this. And he really puts himself into that place where he says, Lord, you know, help me with this. Come to me on this one. Even when you read from Psalm 137, and he does quote this, believe it or not. Um, Psalm 137, and if you read it, um, verses 5 and 6, but I'm going to read it from verse 1 where it says, By the rivers of Babylon where we sat and wept, when we remembered Zion... There on the populars we sang our har- and our harps. We hung on our harps, sorry. And for there our captors asked us to s- for songs and our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of your songs of Zion. How can we sing songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skills. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. This is the sort of stuff that he was doing at the time. This is the kind of things um, that they were that they were doing at the time. And you know, you know, once they heard those words, it reminded me of a group called Boney M. I think they were called Boney M. And they sang this as a popular song way back. You have to be a certain age to remember that one, actually. So you really do. And I can see some people smiling at me because they remember. <laughs> And they, they actually became, that became a hit, believe it or not. I think for four weeks, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was for four weeks, um, they sang this song. And it, at that time, I never realized it came from the Psalms. But as soon as I began to read it, I started to sing the song in my head, you know. It was gone. <laughs> began to sing this, you know. But for 70 years, um, the Israelites are captive in Babylon. 
And they were given an opportunity basically to return back. Now, and you read some of the commentators, they say that between two to three million people were deported. And it's 800 miles away. It's just incredible, you know, from where they were, but they were deported. And of course, when you think about that length of time, many have passed on, many have settled down, they have become, um, and, and it says this in a particular piece of scripture, it does say that when you read on to Nehemiah 2, it says the folk all became settled and they still worshipped God, they still done you know, their rituals and the things that they did for God and they really did become a part of the community there. But many of them didn't want to leave. In fact, there were only 50,000 people um, approximately left that time with Nehemiah to go rebuild this wall. It's roughly about 2%, I think, in terms of figures that want, wanted to go back. Um, and they wanted to return back. And it says in that, that in the days of Ezra, they rebuilt the temple and laid the spiritual foundation for the Israel once again. Now, David talked about this way back in July. He was talking about Ezra and the big problems that he faced, the opposition that he faced, the, the, the major issues about going back to do something, and people were giving him a hard old time about it. You have to take on board that when the Jews were deported um, to Babylon, they really did, um, they, they were really annoyed about it. And you heard it in the psalm, how can we sing songs of joy in a foreign land? And these people have taken us away. And after 70 odd years, they have become accustomed to the lifestyle. Mind you, when you read on to Nehemiah, on through the books of Nehemiah, you can see what has happened here because some of them have risen to prominent place within society. When you read, like Daniel, for instance, you know, when Daniel became very prominent within, uh, within the, the king's um, court, uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they became very important men as well. And of course, Esther became a queen um, in the presence of the house of, of the king of Persia. And of course, Nehemiah himself was a cupbearer in the presence of the king. And if you go on through Nehemiah, you'll read the place where he is so distraught about this. His face says it all. You know, I used to say to folks, um, I have one of these faces that I, I, you'll know when I've done something wrong. Like Merning just walk through the door and say, what have you done? <laughs> I know you've done something. You know, it's like if I've broken something, there's no way I've, you know. Like I used to say, I used to say to Merlin, well, at least there's one thing. If I ever have an affair with another woman, you'll know. It'll be run all over my face, you know. But um, it's just one of those things. And he walks in and the king says to him, why do you look so sad? What's wrong with you? What, what's going on with you? And he says, you know, uh, my lord, if you can just bear with me, he said, um, I've been given the worst news. He said that Jerusalem is in bits. It's, the walls are in rubble. I don't know. I just am so distraught about this. And he said, well, look, can't you go back and rebuild it? What will it take? How long will it take to do this? Incredibly, and I don't want to start going off on the other chapters because I'm sure others might be speaking about it, but I'm going to just mention the fact that when you go to chapter 2, 3, and 4, it really starts going into this because, you know, the king says, how long is it going to take and who do you need with you to go do it? Why don't you go and do this? The king says to him, why don't you go do it? And you know, when you read this, this is the exciting part of this, is that, God has given Nehemiah a heart. He's given him a heart to go rebuild, right? He's given him this passion to go do this. Not only that, God has waited on the time for Nehemiah to come. He just doesn't send any old person to go do this job. 
He wants Nehemiah to do it the right man. And he says, and he puts it into the heart of the king. What do you need to do this? What do you need? How many people? How long will it take? Well, in actual fact, he does go back to do it. And he takes with him 50,000 people and they do it in 52 days. Wow. 52 days. That was incredible. Just reading about that. But God has placed in the heart of Nehemiah a concern for Jerusalem. And therefore he places the need to pray about it, about the issues arising and bring him into leadership. Wow. He brings him into leadership. Now what is leadership? Leadership is about encouraging. That's what you do. As a leader, you encourage. That's what you become a part of. God prepared this a long time ago in the heart of Nehemiah, the importance and his position. He gave him a position. Imagine he put him in the position of being right there with the king. And the king sees his face, sees that he's just not in great shape and he's in bad way. And he puts it into the heart. Go rebuild the wall. I think that is just incredible when you read that. Now, God saw this from heaven. And he got the right man to go do the job. And he placed it in his heart. But there is no way that Nehemiah can do this alone. And yes, he gives him this great leadership. He gives him this great ability to become a leader to influence other people. He influences the king and he gets allowed to go back to go do this job. Nehemiah is a book, believe it or not, the whole book is all about leadership. That's what it's about. It's about leadership. It's about taking the role of a leader and becoming an influencer. That's what you do. You influence other people around you. And I have to say one thing about this church. It has great leaders in it. People who are God-driven, who are spirit-led. They're people who are visionary. And they, they seek God and they seek God's face. That's what I love about this. And that's what I love about coming to this church. And here's something that I read. Leaders must prepare themselves for difficult work because it won't be easy. There's no doubt about that. There is no whining. No whining. Um, and there is nothing about uh, without warfare. You don't whine about your job as being a leader and don't ever expect that there won't be warfare. There are opportunities, sorry, there are no opportunities without opposition. There are no victories without vigilance. For whenever people of God say, let us arise and build, Satan says, let us arise and oppose. Because that's what he does. When I started to read up on this, and I started to read what Nehemiah was doing. And then, of course, I went on to you know, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. I wanted to grasp this whole story of Nehemiah. I started to feel, I started to feel pangs of anxiety. This is no joking. I really did start to feel pangs of anxiety. Because he faces great opposition. He does face opposition when he gets there to do the job. People are sarcastic. People are telling him, you won't be able to do this. You can't do that. Who are you to think you're going to walk in here and just build a wall? Who are you? I started to feel the, the pangs of anxiety. 
when you're in leadership, what that means. In my last church, I faced great opposition in the place I was before. I won't go into details on that, and I'm not going to either. But it taught me a great deal of what it is to be strong and to be prayerful. Oh my word, you have to be prayerful. If you're a leader, you cannot be a leader and not pray. I want to say this very straight to you right now. You need to pray protection over you all the time. You must pray over. But not only this church. I want to put it to you as a church today. You've got to pray for the leadership of your church. That's your rule. You must pray for the leadership of your church. If you're not praying for the leadership of your church, then you're not doing right by God because the church needs to protect its leadership and you need to protect against the powers and the principalities. Satan is out there and he hates you as a church. I read about a guy who was into the Satanist movement. He was very high up in, in worshipping Satan himself. And he got wonderfully and blessed and saved in the Lord and he came away from that lifestyle. And do you know what he said? And it really struck me really hard. He said, we love churches that don't pray much because they were the easiest to pull down. No defence. There is no defence. A church that prays with one another and prays the powers, you know, prays the power of God over it, then you've heard me in this time pray over this church. And I've always called this the house of restoration because that's exactly what it does. It restores people. A house of restoration. And Satan hates the house of restoration because he doesn't want people to be restored at all. We need to pray over this church. And if you don't have a strong church that prays, then Satan's going to come in and destroy it. All I can say is that people who were in the marginal side of a church that I was in, marginally near Christianity of some sort, were the ones that came out after people like me and others. Nehemiah was seen as a rebuilder, and that's what he did. He rebuilt the wall in 52 days according to some commentators, and many people would say that's true. But he didn't do it by not praying. He didn't do it by just walking in going, you know what, let's go build a wall. He did it four months of prayer. He prayed constantly. He fasted constantly. He wanted to rebuild. Do you know what's in this piece of scripture that really hit me most of all? How many of you in this church today are leaders? and called to be leaders, and have a heart for something. How many of you are being called by God to go do something in this church or other places, and are putting it off by saying, well, you know what, Tuesday night I've got stuff on, you know, and you know what, I've got the gym on Tuesday night. And then Wednesday night, I like to go out for a wee walk. Thursday night I meet up with my friends for coffee. Gosh, I have a really busy week going on here. What's God calling you to as a leader? Is he put leadership skills in your life? In fact, I believe Nehemiah says we're all leaders. Which I believe we are, in a way. We're called to lead in prayer. We're called to lead in the church and, and to become a part of it. Not sit passively in the background and, you know, go, everybody else can do that. Do you know the people who came after me when I was a leader in my church? The armchair warriors. People who weren't particularly involved. 
They're the ones going, well, I wouldn't be doing it like that now. That's some boy of that. Oh boy, I could tell you stories. I could write books on this. I could tell you what people said about me that really hurt. And my family can tell you what that was like. It was awful. But I stood my ground because God called me to be a leader. I stood my ground because God said, that's what you're there to do. That's what you have to do for me. And it wasn't easy. But when people are praying for you, believe me, you can, you can ride high on the prayers of the, of the gorgeous, wonderful, mighty people of God. Amazingly. And there's a job to do to rebuild. And Nehemiah has been called to rebuild this massive wall. And it's in rubble. It's literally in rubble. The gates are burned. And he is just taken out by this whole aspect that the walls are down. And what he has actually said, he said, this is, this is the place where my ancestors are buried. This is where they were. This is where my heart is. And there are three things that I can see in this very importantly as points for us, as, as a means to grasp this, to take home with us today. It's Nehemiah's calling. It's the fact that he prayed and he has called the leadership. All of those things, you've got to You've got to pray over that. If God's calling you to do something, you've got to go do it. You can sit and you can say to yourself, well, I'm going to resist that for a while. I don't think I should do that. I remember meeting a guy one time and he was gifted beyond belief like this. guy was just so gifted in speaking. He was gifted in leadership. This man could really put things together and his career became more important than God. I remember saying to him, you can't do that. You can't put your career ahead of everything. He wanted to raise up higher in the particular um, job that he was in. And he did and he raised higher, but he, he neglected what God wanted him to do. That's so sad to see it. I remember sitting with him going, buddy, you can't do this. God is calling you into this ministry. No, I said, like, uh, be honest with you, like, uh, things I wanted to get doing and, and, and I want to go study and I want to get a little higher in my job and when I do that, then I'm going to do stuff and then I'll probably I'll come back in and I'll do things for God in the church. He never did. He never did. I could see it myself. I said, you know what? I believe God is calling you to do this particular role in the church and you've got all these amazing skills and you're going to say, no, I... No, no, I need to climb the ladder a bit higher. Nehemiah sought out God through prayer. He sought him out in prayer. He said, Lord, what is it it I have to do here? My heart is breaking. I really need to do this. And God opened the doors. He opened the door for him through the king who said, listen, go back and do it. What do you need? How How long will it take you? Go for it. Go for it. Great. In verse 8, it says, If the people are unfaithful, I will scatter them among the nations. If the people are unfaithful. That really got me thinking a great deal. It got me thinking about this world that we live in today, about it being unfaithful, for where it is. I was reading this week on Facebook, it was coming up constantly about football being played on a Sunday. I was reading, you know, obviously there are folks saying, oh, you can't be doing football on Sunday. You know, it's not right. And I agree with that, fair enough. You know, that's the way it should be. And if people feel like that, it wasn't so much that annoyed me. It was the comments of others who were saying, um, you know, ancient people again, 
Sunday, stop things on Sunday. Who are they to come in? That's ridiculous. Like, that's the old way of doing things. Um, they were calling them all sorts of names. And I thought, how disrespectful of people to treat somebody else who's a Christian to say that they shouldn't have an opinion upon this. So disrespectful of them to do that because we all have an opinion on things, but to say to somebody that you shouldn't have that opinion is completely wrong. I don't watch football on Sunday. I don't watch football full stop because I just don't do football. I do love winding people up at work about it. You know, if they if they support Man United, I particularly love going into them like a day's work, even though I know nothing about football, but I just love it. If they get beat, I love going into work the next day and go on, see your team got beat last night. <laughs> yes, I do love that part of it. But what I'm, the point I'm going to make is the fact that there's a world out there who have no problem killing babies in the womb, murdering them. There's a world out there who says Christianity should be put to death. There's people out there who said you can't pray, you can't do this, you can't do that. It's amazing to see like the Blackpool Council who said Franklin Graham wasn't allowed to come and use one of their facilities because of who he was. And they were done for discrimination, and rightly so, because he, they shouldn't have done it. This is the world that we're in, and it's not going to get any easier because we're going to face opposition. And what I took out of this is God says, don't worry about the opposition. You know what? I'll sort the opposers out. You do what you've been told to do by me. If you're a leader, lead if you're going to lead, pray about it. God says, I'll take you through this. I really enjoyed reading about Nehemiah so much. And you know what? Listening to Linda last week when she said about the humility of prayer, that strikes me so much about this book. The humility of prayer. God loves your humility. You know when you come down and you just get down on rock bottom and you lie on the ground and you say, Lord, help me. There's something very special about that, and I know because I've been there. There's something really amazing when you just lie down on that ground and you say, Lord, help me. Like nothing else I can do, but I can only come to you and say, Lord, help me. The humility of prayer is unbelievable. In prayer, Nehemiah came to him in this very same way. And we should note as well what Nehemiah did not do. He did not complain. He did not whine about the thing. He didn't go seek somebody else to fix the problem. He immediately did what he knew he could do. He prayed intensely about it and sought God into this whole situation. He really did lay it before God. The wall is lying in pieces and he goes to him and he says, Lord, help me. Help me put this together. Help me really make this. At the beginning of the week, I went to New Horizon. Um, it was really good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And the fact that we got free accommodation when we were up there because Scott and Jude were there and they had hired a wee house out and we, we went in there and stayed with them overnight. It was great crack. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, freeloader, I know. Um, it, was a, it was a great experience. But on the, the, on the Monday morning, we went to one of the... Um, one uh, of the little, um, what do you call them, Jude? Seminars, that's the word I was looking for, yeah, getting old. And uh, the seminar was by, it was church post-COVID. And it was being led by Bishop Ken Clark, 
Fanta, apparently they called him Fanta Clark. I often wondered why they called him that, but apparently he had really bright ginger hair or something like that. I think that's why he got that name. But he's a brilliant guy to listen to, fantastic. And he was talking about the church post-COVID, about how the difficulties of people who haven't come back to church. And he said, how church needs to change, which when he started to talk about that, I was starting to listen to him because I knew he come from a very traditional Church of Ireland background. And uh, he told this story and it made me laugh because it really touched a little point with me in my life. He said, there was a young rector who came to a church and he was very enthusiastic and he wanted to make changes and really move this church along. And he said... Uh, he thought he'd get a sort of a, opinions from the church. And so he went to one of the, the church um, rectors, and he said, or the wardens, and he said to the warden, he said, how long have you been here? Oh, he said, I've been here all my life, your, your reverence. He said, I've been here all my life. Wow, he said, you've been here all your life. He said, you must have saw some changes. Oh, I haven't, he said. And I've opposed every one of them. <laughs> and you know what? I started to laugh at that. But I laughed at it, and I thought, gosh, there's something really true about that one, you know? change things. When I used to be a local preacher and I'd be out and, and I used to love the idea of doing what we do here where you'd have a praise time and then preach. I remember trying that in the wee church but I thought I'd get away with it. Oh wow. At the end of the church this lady said to me, we don't do stuff like that in this church. We don't do things like that in this church, you know. When you're a leader, God calls you to do an amazing work and here's the thing that he does when he calls you to be a leader. He prepares you and he gives you the tools, and he really will be with you all the way. God never calls you unless he gives you everything you need to do the task. I want to say that to you all respectfully. When God calls you to do something, he will call you, he will give you the tools to do it. When he called me to be a local preacher, and, to be, and I'm dyslexic, and I said to him, there's no way I'm standing in a pulpit, Lord. Just, no, I can't do that. And he said, yes, you can. I said, no, I can't. And I did it for a whole year. You've heard the story. I'd said it to you before. And eventually I gave in and I caved into God and I said, Lord, okay, right, oh, let's do this. And believe it or not, he really did equip me. He will equip you. He equipped Nehemiah. But you know the three things, I'm going to say this to you once more. It's the calling. Are you being called to be a leader? Are you being called to be involved in a work in this church? Are you being called to do something? Then you've got to do it, okay? There's no, there's no two ways around it. There's no beating about the bush. Stop faffing around, folks. Go get it done, all right? Go get it done. If God's calling you into a job in the church, go do it, all right? You've got to do it. Secondly, if you're going to do something, pray about it. You've got to continually pray about it. Pray over what you do. And you know what? The Lord opens your mind to the most amazing stuff. I did Sunday school for 20 years. And I was only supposed to do it for one year. Minister came and he says, Nigel, would you do the senior class? He said, for one year. Ah, okay. 20 years later, I was still there. Then I became the superintendent of, the, of Sunday school. Imagine somebody like me teaching kids. Well, you know what? There's somebody sitting here today and she was in my Sunday school class. She did all right. I taught Bible. I taught the Bible as I should have taught it and left kids that they would leave that Sunday school class and do some amazing stuff. And you know what? I look back on some of the young people today and some of them are doing some of the most incredible things with their lives for God. Maze brawls. Absolutely fantastic. Calling, prayer, leadership. Is God calling you to leadership? 
three important things in the church. And I have to say, I agree with David. I know I heard David say this many times, but there are some amazing people in this church who have got great gifts. And I'm going to say it to you, but you should be using them. God's calling you to do stuff. Nehemiah had a heart. Is he calling you and giving you a heart for something to go do for him? Go do it. Don't wait till you get to heaven when God says, you know I was calling you to do such and such? And here I give you these lovely gifts, but you never used them. Why? Why? You know, I've seen some amazing people with great gifts. And you know what? I've seen them being put down by other people and just literally crawl away, discouraged, put down. Please don't be doing that. If you're going to be a leader in this church, I'm going to tell you something. You want to do something, I know you'll be well soaked and bathed in prayer. Tuesday nights in this church are amazing. That's prayer night. I come to this church on a Tuesday night because I get blessed. I am blessed by the prayers of the brothers and sisters in Christ in this church. It is absolutely fabulous. I go out of this church on a Tuesday night, absolutely filled, overflow and brimmed. Honestly, I am just so overwhelmed by the prayer of this church. Did you know for years I never went to corporate prayer meetings in my other church? Do you know why? Because somebody used to talk about, people would go talk about what you're praying about to others. Oh, do you know who we're praying for tonight? And it became gossip. I hated it. I absolutely despised that. I got a phone call one night to say, you know, you shouldn't be praying about that in the prayer meeting. I was praying about something, I don't know what it was, an hour later, and it was somebody who wasn't even in the prayer meeting and he got to hear about it from somebody else. Wow. I love coming to prayer. And I encourage you to come to prayer in the church. And, if you, and I know not everybody can do Tuesday nights and that's fair enough. Can you organise another prayer meeting with somebody else at a, at a later date? Maybe on another night in the week? Or get together? Or do it in Zoom or something like that? More prayer, the better. Nehemiah made a great job for the Lord. And when you, when you start reading through it, Nehemiah, you just see the most amazing work he does. But you also see the awful opposition that he faced, especially when you get to chapter 4. Pretty rough stuff. But he keeps doing it. He just keeps on doing it. And can I encourage you to do the same, to keep on doing it? Is God calling you? If he is, pray about it. And if you're going into leadership, pray about it. If you're going to do something for the Lord, pray about it. We've got to keep praying. And if you're stuck and you need prayer, come talk to us because we'll pray for you. We'll carry you in prayer. You see, when you can't pray for yourself, we'll pray for you. I remember one time going through the most awful experience and I'll not go into detail of it, and I was down rock bottom. And I rang a friend and I said, I need you to do something. I need you to go preach for me at a wee meeting that we're going to. He said, no problem. He said, you don't sound too good, Nigel. I explained him what the problem was. And I told him I couldn't pray because I was in such a bad place. And he said, don't dare pray. I'll pray for you. I'll carry you. Wow. That made me cry on the phone. He said, fill me now. I'm really getting very emotional about it. But he just said to me, I'll carry you. Don't pray. I'll carry you. Prayer is the most amazing place and it fills my life every day, morning, noon and night. Can I just ask you to be a Nehemiah? Can I say to you, let's pray about what we do for God. This place is going to be mightier than what it already is and this is a house of restoration because this restores all our lives. Not just some people who come in, or it restores every one of us. Calling, prayer, leadership. 
calling prayer leadership. Are you being called? Let's pray about it. Are you going into leadership? We'll pray about it. Are you going through a tough time? We'll pray about it with you. We'll carry you in prayer. That's the amazing thing about Table Church. We'll carry you. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, I want to pray for everyone here today. That, Lord, if you're calling them to leadership, if you're calling them in, if you've given them a heart for something, Lord, will you help them to meet that realisation of the calling that you're given to them? Lord, will you bless them, Father, through that whole ministry? Lord, if there's somebody listening on the podcast, Lord, and they are feeling this too, Father, will you bless them where they are right now? Will you bless these people today and the people listening? Father, will you help them as they're being called into a ministry or a work for you? Will you bless them while they do it? Lord, if there's someone here today and they're getting it really tough, Lord, will you lift them up today in the name of Jesus? Lord, will you cover them in the blood of the Lamb and surround them with your mighty warrior angels? Father, will you bless them from on high? Lord, will you come in deep into what we're going to do now, Lord, which is worship? Will you bless us in the power of the Holy Spirit? And Lord, we ask it all through the massive, massive, mighty name of Jesus.